The Classic is a new podcast series from Off The Ball, bringing you the real-life drama behind some of sport's most fascinating stories. This is episode two, Champion, the story of Neil Shanahan, former Irish racing driver. Half of this room was Neil's bedroom originally. When he became interested in motorsport, he had so much racing memorabilia all around the room. Um, cuttings from magazines, all that type of thing. And of course, his PlayStation with all the Formula One games, whatever. The young man on the second row, young Shanahan, just catches them all with their trousers down. After Neil died, the room was just left there and it was no ordinary bedroom because it was so full of racing memorabilia and as you can imagine I suppose with someone who has lost their child they don't want to disturb anything, they don't want to disturb the bedroom and the bedroom was left there for several years. We've no real problems this year, I mean we won 10 races and I won the Phoenix Park races and it's just been the perfect season and I don't think I'll have ever a season like that again, it's, it's too good to be true. Now and again, we'd just go in if we were feeling a little bit low, you know, and uh, seemed to pick us up. Not, not on a regular basis, no, but when you get the, the feeling, you know, it just, it's nice and peaceful, and you, in and you, you go to your thoughts, you know, and that's basically it, you know. It was coming up to almost, um, well, it was 10 years since Neil died, and it would have been coming close to his 30th birthday, but we hadn't touched the room. So we decided that what better way to pay tribute to Neil? We'd set up a room, put all his trophies in cabinets, and there were so many of them, um, all the photos on the wall, or at least a selection of them. And then to top it all off, Mick Merrigan, who was Neil's manager, he still had one of Neil's racing cars, the Formula Ford Z-Tech, down in his garage in Ratnew. His original Formula Ford 1600 had been sold on, and Mick managed to source that, and we got it back. We put the two cars together, and we decided to extend the room and build a sort of a... Well, Neil always had his room in this house. It was his bedroom. So now it was going to be still Neil's room, but a different kind of room. We actually, we couldn't get the cars, the racing cars in the doors. So we had to crane them in over the, over the side wall and they just about fitted into the room. <laughs> so it's like a complete story of Neil Shanahan's racing career in here. That's Mary Shanahan and her husband Liam. They were parents to Neil. My name is Leo Nulty and I've been covering motorsport in Ireland for a few decades now. I've seen thousands of drivers get behind the wheel, but Neil Shanahan is one I'll never forget. For those of us who got to know Neil Shanahan in later life, driving coursed through his veins. He was born in June 1979 to Dubliner Mary and Tipperary native Liam, a publican who ran the Bachelor Inn. It wasn't long before they discovered just how car mad their young son was. He collected all the matchbox cars, 
Mind you, he used to crash most of them because he just loved to get his two hands and crash the two cars together. And the more battered they were, the better. What he used to actually do was he'd get a hammer and put a knock on it to make sure <laughs> they did crash. <laughs> they the crashed ones. Yeah. He did, yeah. That's right. yeah. Yeah, he was car mad. Actually, by the time he was two year old, he used to, he'd be sitting in the baby seat in the car and he could name the cars on the road. He knew all the Ford, Fiat, everything. He could tell you exactly what it was. It wasn't long before Neil graduated from toy cars to sitting behind the wheel himself. We used to go down to a farmhouse in Wexford and there was a farm road. Uh, when you turned off the main road, there was a, a little farm road like with the grass growing up the middle. And um, from the time Neil, I suppose, was about eight or nine, Neil would sit onto the front seat uh, in lap. between his lap, yeah. I just, I guide the pedals, but he'd steer the car then, you know, and then we get to the gateway, i let him manoeuvre, he'd manoeuvre it in, you know, so that was his first driving experience, you know, uh, doing the steering of the car, you know, and one thing led to another, you know, as time went on, he did a bit more and more, you know. I always liked cars, you know, and that I used to go down to Mandela fairly regular, just to, to watch the racing, and uh, Neil and myself went down one day, uh, one Sunday, and I didn't know what was on, and it turns out there was carting on, you see. And uh, Neil took an interest in the carting, you know. He was only about 12 or 13 at the time, you know, so he took an interest in the carting, you know. And it was, a, it was a kind of, they had a kind of a display there showing how to get into carting, you know, and uh, I bought one of the books, you know, and so that's how got, Neil took the interest in the carting, then, you know. That was back in 1993. Neil was still 14. But as you'd imagine, racing doesn't come cheap and Neil was going to have to pay his own way. He cleaned the toilets and the bachelor as well. He I did guess, everything. I did, yeah. <laughs> he, had to, he had to make it through, yeah. Bob. <laughs> well, we never had money growing up and we had to work for everything we had. We had to sell our house to get the deposit on the first pub. Yeah. So we appreciated, I suppose, we knew the value of money yeah. and we wanted, we wanted Neil to be the same. We didn't want him to think he could have everything or whatever he'd asked for. It's um, like when you wanted to start carting, you know, and, yeah. and the book that we got on the carting, they're giving you a guide price, it, it costs about £800 to set up, you know. Now I knew my heart and soul cost more than that, you know, and I said, Neil, you better start saving, you know. and. Uh, so he did start, he used to start saving any money he got, but then he stopped working, doing part-time work for me in the bachelor, and he used to go and clean the toilets, and I never paid him, I just marked down his hours, you know, and you get so much an hour, you know, and, and that's why we used to accumulate, you know. In the beginning, like, he was just doing it for fun, and they weren't serious about the carting, and Liam was trying to set up the cart himself and work on it, and Liam didn't have a clue, he didn't know the first thing about as well, it. you know, so... All these karting teams were almost professional. Mm. You know, they they knew exactly. They had two or three engines. They different sets of tires. They had like, and we were just like <laughs> the poor relations, you could say. And that went on for a couple of years. Neil was just starting to make his mark in karting. Around that time, something happened at the pinnacle of Formula One that still casts a shadow to this day the death of Ayrton Senna in 1994. Like many race fans, I remember where I was when he died. Neil was at a karting race that Sunday. Senna was his idol. And Neil and Liam were racing down in Watergrass Hill in Cork. And I didn't go that weekend. And I was watching the race on the Sunday and I saw Senna's accident. And when he came home that night, 
I said to him, you know, we were talking about Senna, and I said, God, I said, it was dreadful. I was watching the whole thing here, you know. And he said, yeah, he said it was. He said, but you know, that's the way it is. That's the chance you take. And uh, I never forgot that. He was only 15 at the time. But I just thought, what a, what a strange thing to say. Like, he knew the risks. He might have been karting for fun up to then, but something changed in 1996. He'd finished that year by winning the Phillips Award for Most Improved Racer. 96 then, we were, get, we were getting a bit serious then at this stage, so we bought all new equipment, new chassis, new, new engine, two new engines. We did a few races and then we're having problems with the engines, the engines were seized every now and again, you know, so I said to Neil, listen, I have to get someone to run this because, you know, we've invested a lot into it now, you know, so I went to Jerry McCarthy in, you know, on Kerry and uh, if I'd gone to Jerry a few races sooner, Neil would have won the championship. He missed the championship by one point that year. He had PlayStation, so he had all the Formula One tracks on it, of course. And he used to call me in and he used to test me. And he'd say, um, Mum, sit down there on the bed and watch this. And then he'd say to me, what track is that? <laughs> Some of them, of course, stood out like Suzuka and Interlagos and places like that, they were easy. The PlayStation wasn't just for fun either. Philip Kyo would go on to race against Neil in Formula Ford Z-Tech in 1998. And let's just say, he found out the hard way. The lights are out, it goes! I remember mentioning PlayStation, and it was PlayStation 97 at the time that both of us were playing, and my favorite track was Brazil, and he said, God, that's mine as well. And he asked me, what time did I get? And I told him what time I got, and he told me his time and God, I remember one night I was in Brazil but I got my fastest time well I couldn't wait till I got to track the next day to tell Neil the time was after getting in Brazil and uh, the devil would you believe it was a bank holiday weekend so we had between the practice and the qualifying we had a day off God he came back to me to say he was after beating my time and like I now whether it was psychologically he's playing a mind game with me because I couldn't believe the time he got but he, he definitely rattled me with the time he got. You need to be single-minded and focused to make it in a competitive world. But in motor racing, you need a different type of determination. And Neil had that. By the end of 1996, it was clear he was going to graduate from karting to cars. At that stage, there hadn't been any decision made that he was going to make a career in it. But he was getting serious about it, like it was his thing. And uh, then there was talk that he could... Um, go into Formula Ford the following year. So that was going to be a big step because Neil always said he loved the car, but he always felt he'd be better in a car because I think he was just a natural driver. Like every parent though, Mary couldn't help but worry. Yeah, well, you do worry. And always if I was at the race meetings, of course, and I'd be standing in the pit road waiting I always said my prayers uh, and uh, I knew he was doing what he wanted to do but it wasn't easy to sit there and watch, you know. <laughs> yeah, you did worry. But you know, um, 
I've often thought about this and like accidents in motorsport are very, very rare. And I know everyone says, oh, motorsport, that's very dangerous and all. But look at rugby, what's been happening. Um, you, can, you can be badly hurt in boxing, whatever. Um, um, it's hard to say. Uh, looking back on it, would we let him do it again? Probably not. Of course not. If we knew what, what lay ahead, I certainly wouldn't give him my blessing. And I suppose if I'd put my foot down there, there and then and said, you're not going racing, it wouldn't have happened, you know. But he was enjoying it so much. He was so good at it. He was so talented. And we, were all, we embraced it. We really did. And then I suppose it was just possible. We could just about afford to do it for him. And he was so happy. When you wanted to go car racing, now I didn't know who was who in car racing. You know who, who was the best to, to put Neil with. You know, so so I know I know Michael Cullen. Now Michael Cullen cars and the, they were high owned dealers, and I knew Michael raced a lot as well in Montella. So as Michael says, there's only one man, and that's Mick American. He says, you know, he said he'll keep him on the straight and narrow. Mick Merrigan used to be a racer himself back in the day in Formula V and Formula Ford 1600. He'd won a couple of championships in the late 70s and early 80s, but by the 90s, he ran his own race team. Mick has seen many hopefuls show up and talk a good game, but when Neil arrived that day, Mick saw something new, even to his eyes. They came in, we had the tea and the sandwiches and put Neil in the car and you know when you get a good pair of shoes and it fits, Neil was made to sit into this car. So he got into it and of course he was pulling all the controls, the seatbelts and all. Lovely young guy, full of enthusiasm. Father, so excited. Okay, we had found each other. This kid wanted to drive the car then. Then, he wanted to drive it then. He wanted to race cars and he wanted to go to Formula One. That was his, like he was talking about Formula One and we hadn't tested Mondello. Now, that's enthusiasm. And Neil... Okay, he wasn't, he, he, as he said himself, he never liked going to school, which a lot of us didn't anyway. But you knew he had a focus on where he wanted to go. So straight away, you just knew he had the enthusiasm. And it was infectious. Like, as the fella says, we bonded straight away. But this, this was definitely, um, you know, they say that, that you meet things in life, like, you know, meeting your wife, and you know, yes, that's the lady for me. Well, he was certainly sent to us for a journey which was a a brilliant journey but you know ended sadly we started testing early in January 97 down in Mondello freezing cold Mondello I remember that day very well we had two coats and several pairs of socks and woolly hats all on us you know that first day there was, uh, there was someone else testing as well and, and he, apparently he was the, uh, the champion from the year before that was Alan Ring. Alan Ring. Yeah. And Neil was just going on the track, and he was quicker. And they came over then to find out what was going on, you know. They couldn't <laughs> figure it out, you know. There's a new guy in the block, you know, and uh, he was just making a name for himself straight away, you know. We were just starting to get an inkling about this young kid. I mean, I hadn't heard of Neil and Carting. You didn't hear that much about the Carters back then. But then, he just began to absolutely fly. He started winning straight away in 1997. He just, it, he just looked like a duck to water. 
and he was he didn't just win races he dominated races and he did it in, in like it was almost how come Neil didn't win when he didn't win it was like how come he didn't win rather than oh well he won today it was expected that's Oshin O'Brien Neil's PR manager he was blowing everyone else away that first year in cars he won 10 out of 11 races that's not supposed to happen he only had just gotten his driver's licence and um, he was just he was just a natural driver. So it didn't really come as a shock, but I suppose we didn't expect him to be winning every round. He won at almost every Irish track you care to mention, but the Phoenix Park races was the one that everyone wanted to win. If you're the real deal, you have to do it at the park. By now, you can probably guess how Neil got on. Uh, Neil Shanahan, car number 44 there, the all-white. He is, of course, uh, 18 years of age, a student run by Mick Merrigan Motorsports, driving in the Van Diemen RF92. That was a special weekend, that was, you know, and then we went up. Mick is very particular about things, has to be done right, you know, so we went up the evening before, we got our spot, you know. Then we had to bring up the lawnmowers, and, and we cut our grass, you know, made it nice. So we had a lovely, we had a lovely corner, and we, I think we had, a, we had the best presentation anyway, as regards the, the lawn, you know, and... Uh, yeah, so that, and they were the barbecue. The yeah, the barbecue. Yeah, yeah we bought a lot. We must have bought about fifty or maybe more burgers and sausages, and yeah. we had we were feeding everyone who dropped by. It was a great weekend and all, wasn't it? Yeah. The crown it all. Neil won the race, you know, which is <laughs> which was a fantastic race, you know. Anyone who's anyone wants to race at Phoenix Park, so um, and we knew that it'd be televised, so he, he wanted to do it. What a performance, certainly one for the future. In the late 90s, Hayden's Pub in Nace was a favourite watering hole of race fans and motoring journalists alike. On many occasions, the subject of discussion was young Neil Shanahan and his rapid rise through the ranks. One of the regular attendees was Johnny Whelan, who was one of the quickest drivers about and still had a Formula Ford in the garage. It was collectively decided that Johnny would dust off the Formula Ford and we would find out how quick this young challenger was. Johnny duly dusted off the Formula Ford and entered the next Mondello race, which unsurprisingly was won by Neil Shanahan as Johnny carried bits of his car back to the pits. He's through this time. A lap later, he does it. He set the move up the previous lap, and now Neil Shanahan goes through to take the lead. Back in the 90s, motor racing was on Irish TV, and that meant Neil's achievements were reaching a wider audience. Commentator and broadcaster John Kenny would become a good friend of Neil's and covered many of his races from 1997. Star tomorrow Formula Ford Championship, and that's where we noticed him. He drove around the the, the outside of Michael Kipan to the first corner at one stage. Everybody went, "Whoa!" Just those some of those memorable races back in in ninety seven. Just it jumped out at us. But when you met him, he he was a, a tall guy, braces in his teeth, red hair, just had it. He just had the charisma. And the winner of the RAAC Dunlop Driver of the Year for nineteen ninety seven is Neil Shanahan. Yeah! As a newcomer, you see, there were a lot more experienced drivers being chosen as well, so it was hard to know. Um, and then he eventually won Driver of the Year. When Neil won it the first time, I just said, oh my God, this is a miracle that a driver that we're running has just won the section, which was the biggest honour and accolade to win an Irish motorsport. Mick got so excited, he banged his fists on the table and he broke his watch. The pieces of the watch went flying all over the floor. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was brilliant, yeah. 
It wasn't any old Sexton Trophy win either. He was the 50th winner of the Driver of the Year. But not only that, at 18 he was the youngest winner in the awards salubrious history. Years don't come much better and he'd cap it off by winning the Formula Ford 1600 Championship, sealing it in typical Neil Shanahan style. That was actually uh, in September 97. It would be the big race meeting at Mondello. It was the Leinster Trophy meeting and um, Neil sealed the championship that day. He had a great race. Um, it was very tight actually with Michael Cohan and um, they had a few, they touched a few times. Michael tried to more or less barge his way through and he lost his nose cone. And, uh, but Neil was first across the line. With Formula Ford 1600 conquered with style and a bit of healthy arrogance on the track, Neil was going to move up another step on the ladder for 1998. We had a few sort of meetings with Mick, Mick. and Oshin and um, well the logical next step was the um, C-Tech Championship here in Ireland. It was a faster car so um, that was the next step for 98 to compete in the Ford of Ireland C-Tech Championship. And when I say we hit the ground running, we hit the ground at 200 mile an hour because Again, he won, 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 won podiums, fastest laps. I think that was a big turn because that was where all the drivers who were, they, they were racing the Mondello for years, they had so much experience and he went into first year and he beat them all. And I think that's when people went, this guy's special. Like, and that was what Neil was. And, and yeah, that definitely made people look. Philip Kyo was Neil's friend off the track. On it though, they were rivals. But Neil almost always found a way to win. He was very consistent. He came across very calculated. To be honest, I saw Neil more like Alain Prost and possibly me as Dirt and Senna. I was more the radical one that was prepared to jeopardise something. But he was very calculated. He'd sit there and he'd wait and next thing he'd pick you off. Like anything though, there were doubters and despite winning race after race, even Neil had a few. You'd hear a bit of grumbling from time to time, but boy did he show them what he was made of at the Formula Ford Festival. A couple of the commentators were beginning to wonder, I think, could he actually fight his way through the field, you know? So, um, yeah, Neil was setting the pace and um, his brakes failed and he was dropped right down the field. So he had to start the race in 12th, 6th row of the grid. I don't think it was, I think it must have only been 10 or 12 laps of a race, but he fought his way through. He overtook maybe two cars in one lap. And, uh, you know, some pretty as he, as, he, as he said, it was one of the best races yeah. he ever had. He really loved yeah. it, you know, you know, that he fighting his way through. Because all the other races up to that, at the start line, Neil always got out in front and he was away, you know. But this way he had to fight it. And he, lo- he actually loved it. He really enjoyed it. Yeah? A chance came up to show what he was made of on the other side of the Irish Sea. Mick Merrigan put together a team of Irish drivers to go to the Formula Ford World Cup at Brands Hatch in 1998. If you're a Formula One fan, you'll know Jensen Button went on to win a world championship just over a decade later. Neil had his measure. He took the lead in the semi-final. And as he went past, we got this horrible smell of petrol. And the car stopped. Having ran Neil for two years with no breakdowns whatsoever. To, to my shock, the fuel pipe feeding the fuel system had come adrift. And had spilled petrol inside. But... The unusual thing about that was, you know, I said to Neil, God, Neil, we're good. No, no, don't be worrying. He said, everybody has seen what I can do. And he was right. We thought 
you know, he's going to go all the way to the top. Saw him race in the Formula Four Festival at Brands Hatch, which was the World Cup, and uh, you know, audacious overtaking manoeuvre in the semi-final before the oil pump blew, and I was actually standing up on the tower, and I looking down at him, and Neil put his arms out, kind of like you know, spread his arms, going, "That's a shame." So I was so disappointed for him that weekend, you know. But I thought, you know, this guy's going to go on and and be a champion. To survive in motor racing, you need money, and plenty of it. But to thrive and get towards Formula One, you need to attract as many sponsors as you can. Talent isn't enough on its own, and Neil was the latest Irish driver facing that challenge. We were able to, we were able to kind of, with sponsorship, and we were able to survive the, in Ireland, you know, but when we, when we were looking at England, then we had to, we had to look at, um, to get finances, because you never get enough sponsorship anyway. For, uh, so what we did was, we had to... Um, to form another company and I had to borrow I borrowed I think it was a quarter of a million and that was into the other company into Neil's company right and uh, that was kind of a loan thing you know and uh, that was to take him through England in Formula Ford and, and then trying to get him into Formula 3 as well so we're, we're trying to cover that far ahead you know with, sponsorship, with our own funding and then hopefully we pick up more sponsorship yeah. as well along the line you and know? then hopefully if he did well the plan was that he'd be picked up by a team because if you're good enough, you will be picked up. And he did get picked up in England for 1999. Driver Neil Shanahan, perhaps the brightest Irish motor racing prospect since Eddie Irvine, has launched his 1999 season, where he will contest the British Formula Ford Championship. Shanahan 19, from Churchtown in Dublin, has been signed up by the Works Van Diemen team, an outfit expected to challenge for the overall driver's title. Ralph Furman's Van Diemen team were royalty. Irish drivers like Eddie Irvine and Tommy Byrne had taken their chances there on the way to Formula One. But so did Ayrton Senna and Mark Webber. Van Diemen is a finishing school. This is a stop you make on the way to the main show. And Neil was there. Oh, it was huge. When Neil signed for Van Diemen, that was a huge thing because now he's got in with the best team in the UK. Um, And British Formula Ford is, if you made a list, you could write a couple of A4 pages of, of drivers who've come through there, professional drivers. It was the proving ground. And so it was, it was, everyone was super excited. Once you got into Formula Ford in the UK, the pathway was there. If you won Formula Ford, next up was Formula 3. If you won there, then you were going into the Formula 3000 Championship. Of course it wasn't simple, but the steps were there. Neil had already won it all in Ireland, so they knew he was hot property. Now he needed to prove it in England. Yes, we were definitely looking at Formula 3. But no, we never got to, um, to follow that journey um, as you know, um, things changed dramatically that day at Oldham Park, and um, our thoughts were were definitely stopped at that spot. You know. His car wasn't up to speed initially in England, but he'd already showed plenty of promise. I mean, he managed to take the lead in his first British Championship race at Donington Park. He ended up fourth that day, but the signs were there. He was starting to feel confident about the rest of that 1999 season by round five. And you can hear it in that final interview at Oldham Park in Cheshire. This one is special. The hunger he had to keep moving forward, his relaxed confidence in his ability, it's all there. How do you feel about Oldham Park? I mean, you haven't driven on it. Yeah. Well, really only have a half day's testing there, um, so I am at a bit of a disadvantage to the guys who raced here last year. But uh, I won't let that deter me. Um, get out there and drive as good as I can. Hopefully we'll be up there again. 
He was much more positive after the Browns Hatch race. He knew he could do it. Um, so it was just a matter of, as he said, getting out there and doing it. He knew he had the pace to do it. And he was optimistic. In your own mind, do you think you're going to have to achieve to do that, to beat somebody? I mean, some of these are possibly the top guys in the world. Yeah, but I, I really believe I have the pace to do it. Um, I could qualify off a tenth off pole in Donington, and uh, I came from tenth to fourth in Brands, so I know I can do it. So it's just a matter of doing it. <laughs> I know I can do it. So, but I'm really look. I really want to win a race. I'm, I'm disappointed so far not to be on the podium anyway at the, at the moment. Maybe Walton Park's the place. Perhaps. <laughs> Best of luck. Cheers. Thanks. We had, a, we had a lovely meal that evening. We were all together, and you know, it, it was all happiness. It was this is you know this is brilliant. This is brilliant, you know. It was the bank holiday Monday. The sun was shining. I had brought all uh, food from home and cooked Neil's favourite dishes, um, and we had it. It was really a nice weekend, and it was great because we could spend more time together. So, um, yeah, it was a good, a, a good weekend until the fateful day. The last memory I have is in the awning when he said how it was the first time he felt nervous before a race. You know, Cause I used to often ask Neil, you know, do you be nervous before a race you know, or during the race? You know? He said, the only time you're nervous, he says, when you're on the start line waiting for the, the green. But the strange thing why he said to me that day was before the race, we were sitting waiting to go out, you know, and we were sitting in the awning, he says... Uh, this is the first time I ever felt nervous before a race, he says, you know. That's just the last memory I have, you know. I always did say to Neil before, you know, he went out, I love you. And that day, when they were told to start their engines and all the teams started to move away and we moved away to get down to the pit road, um, I realised I hadn't said it to him. And I ran back and I tapped his helmet and I said to him, I love you. And they were the last words that were said. When the three cars were side by side, um, as they came out of Nickerbrook, the, the guy on the PA said, I distinctly remember him saying, three into one won't go. And then the PA went silent. Then the red flags came out, and there was after being an incident at the um, at, at Clay Clay Hill. There was no sign of Neil. There were a couple of cars missing, so um, we waited and waited. And I think the team were thinking, well, well, if the car is damaged, we can get it back. We can work on it, and for the restart of the race. But then a few more minutes went by, and there was a lot of activity around the race control. And then we saw the helicopter take off mm. and the air ambulance and move across to the far side of the track. And then at that stage, I remember seeing Alan Gow, who was the um, administrator of the Toka series at the time. I, the two of us, but I went up to Alan Gow mm. and I said to him, uh, what's wrong? Is Neil OK? And his exact words were, He's not well. We waited and waited, and then we, we um, asked what was happening at race control. 
So they said they were taking him to Chester Hospital. Um, they handed us a sort of a makeshift map and said, you know, he's gone to Chester. So basically we had to make our own way to the hospital from the racetrack. Um, it was about a half an hour, three quarter of an hour's drive. We didn't really know where we were going. We just did the driving mm. and we got to the hospital in Chester at about two o'clock. I drove with Mary and Liam, we drove over and even in the car, you know, you're thinking, okay, yeah, worst case scenario, broken arm. He could be, you know, he'll miss a race. You know, you never ever thought that that was gonna, what was about to be, we were about to be told. When we looked at the, at the desk, you know, and it just said, uh, but the, the race driver brought in from Bolton Park, you know, in the helicopter, you know. And I, just the, the, the girl said to me, what was his name, you know? I just thought it was strange, but I didn't think anything of it at the time, you know. The first, I suppose, idea I got that this was, was serious was the, the was. We followed her across the hallway and she opened up a room. We went in, there was a table and she said, oh, and, um, well, uh, uh, take a seat there. When the doctor came in, a doctor was starting to explain. He started, he asked who we were, and um, he said, he started to explain why Neil's injuries weren't compatible with life. And I looked at him, we all looked at each other, and um, I said to him, are you saying he's dead? And he said, yes, I'm sorry, I thought you knew. I remember when, when he said it, and I don't know how it happened, but I remember going out through a door and I started running. Now, I can't tell you where I was running. I don't know where I was running. And I was running. But the next thing, I was on the floor, sliding along, but I could feel this kind of someone pulling me down. And I looked around, and here's this Welsh policeman. And he said, look at the glass door. He said, do you know you were going through a glass door? And I said, no. And he said, we'll both get up very quiet. And he said, this is shocking. This is absolutely shocking. I can't say anything to you. He said, it's just shocking. But I think we should go back. Still reeling from the terrible news that Neil had died of his injuries, Oshin O'Brien identified his body at the hospital. I always wanted to remember Neil for, for you know, I suppose my last, you know, when I was at the track and having a bit of crack with him, I didn't really want to, so I, I, I was a bit hesitant to doing that, but yeah, obviously the, the, it had to be done. Um, so yeah, no, it was, and, and it's, it's a surreal thing. You don't, you know, we were two young guys. You don't expect to see, like, yeah, it's just... I actually don't know if I, if I ever properly grieved it. After arranging Liam and Mary's journey back to Ireland, Oisin and Mick Merrigan returned to Alton Park that evening. During their time there, they went up to Clay Hill, the corner where Neil had suffered his fatal crash. When they arrived, they saw one of the drivers involved in the three-car accident that led to Neil's death, lying face down in the grass near the crash site, devastated. He was lying on the ground. He was lying at the spot. And his team team uh, manager were there. 
there was very little words and there was no, there wasn't anger, there was no emotions. I just looked at the guy and I just went, and I said, this is an awful thing that's happened. And you don't say anything else. A bit like Ayrton Senna, I remember where I was and who told me about Neil's accident. In the pre-internet days, there was no Twitter. We were all desperate for information on Irish drivers. I had heard he had an accident, but later on, while I was driving, the phone rang. An Irish team manager told me the news. The tragic death has taken place of one of Ireland's most promising racing drivers. 19-year-old Neil Shanahan was killed earlier today following a crash at the Alton Track in Cheshire. He died of injuries sustained during the fifth round of the British Formula Ford Championship. It was like we were, we were just in a trance. We were, we were, we were numb. We, I remember sitting on that plane coming home. We were in the first row of the plane. It was a Ryanair flight. And um, <laughs> we were just, I don't think we spoke to each other. We'd, we, no. we just, it was, it was just, this was just so unbelievable. It had been all over the radio and TV and our house was full of people. It was just uh, unreal, really unreal. You, you don't think, we, all, we know motorsport is a dangerous business, uh, dangerous sport, but actually for someone to be killed, it's very rare. Um, it was just, it was just a living nightmare. We never thought it would, would happen to Neil, that's for sure. The inquest took place a year later, and it's there that the circumstances became clear. Neil was dicing with another car as they came out of Knickerbrook Bend. The, Neil was on the right-hand side, the other car was on his left. Another car was closely following them and decided to overtake the two of them together. So he drew alongside Neil, so he would have been on Neil's right. Neil was now in the middle. There were three cars side by side. Now, the track sort of, it's quite a narrow track, and it, it turns to the left up further. So the car then cut in in front of Neil. And as he did, his back wheel hit Neil's front right wheel. It damaged Neil's car very badly. The, it damaged the wheel. It also, we found out, had damaged the steering and the, um, the brakes. So at that stage then, Neil's car started to veer off to the right. He couldn't uh, use his brakes, he had no steering. And um, he hit the barrier head on. The barrier was unprotected, there were no tires there. And after he hit the barrier, he rebounded back on to the track as the engine was still running. But he had a head-on impact. His coffin was carried into the house and he was laid out in his own bedroom. So he was surrounded by all his racing cars, racing suits, pictures of his, his idols. Neil's coffin was draped in the tricolour and a chequered flag and his helmet sat on top of the, sat on top of the coffin. 
I can tell you, uh, it changed our life forever. It's mm. not something, you certainly don't get over it. It's just this gaping hole in our lives. So sad that we we have to do an interview on him. It would be lovely to do an interview on him, telling you that, yes, he's just won his 10th Grand Prix. That would be the dream, <laughs> yeah. I think on many, many, many times as I drive the Lent and Brett of Ireland, it runs across my mind, Jensen Button won a World Championship. If we'd have been in the same situation with the right people and the right car and the right engine, yeah, hopefully we would have, would have done that. There's always that question like, you know, where would it have went to? Where would it have got to, you know? People believe in what they want to believe in. But definitely, Neil Shanahan's spirit lives in my workshop. Do I talk to him every day? Yes. He gives me inspiration. And we'll never forget him because, you know, he left just a fantastic uh, mark on all of of us that he touched. Was I a lucky guy? Was my my team uh, lucky people? We were the luckiest people in the world to have come across Neil Shanahan and his family. If we're feeling very low, particularly if I'm feeling low, I come in and I just sit here. It's quiet. All the pictures are all around the room. His cars, his trophies. When you get the, the feeling, you know, just, it's nice and peaceful. And when you, you go through your thoughts, you know, and that's basically it, you know. I wouldn't say I'm religious in on a daily sense. I'm, um, I don't pray that much, but I talk to Neil. I talk to him every single night, um, and I say good night and I give him a good night kiss. And I've no doubt we'll see each other again. Champion was narrated by Leo Nolte. The program was produced by Raf Giallo and Owen Brennan. Sound designed by Neil Kavanagh. The series producer is Owen Brennan.